And we are live. Welcome to another episode of Roasting Marshmallows. My name is Rolf Suit, and I am your host. Uh, startups are usually considered pretty sexy. Uh, they bring about cool new apps that your friend insists that you just have to get. Uh, they disrupt the market with innovative new goods and services. Uh, they display their awesome company culture in such a way that working there becomes a goal in itself. But what about the business-to-business -business startups? You don't hear a lot about those being the next hottest thing. Uh, maybe not, but uh, they cater to the needs of other businesses. They are really good at making money, which is a good thing, of course. Uh, today, we are roasting marshmallows with uh, Alex Kojukaru, one of the co-founders of Licenseware, an open ecosystem of software asset management applications that contains the collective work of thousands of experts, enabling businesses to make the most out of their licenses. Uh, Alex started his career as an analyst in 2011 and has had various roles with a focus on software asset management, data analytics, and software development. In 2020, he co-founded Licenseware with the mission of commoditizing software license management. Welcome, uh, Alex. Well, thanks for the intro, and uh, guys, thanks for uh, the invite. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you, man, because we, we, we talked about startups before. Uh, but uh, is it fair to say that yours is a B2B startup because it's about licenses and stuff like that? Yeah, it's a B2B startup. Yeah. And, and would you also um, agree with the analogy that B2B startups are considered not as hot as, uh, you know, startups that, uh, I don't know, Instagram or like uh, all these cool yeah. things on your, because I guess you guys don't make a phone app just yet, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, true for sure. And um, also from uh, from uh, yeah, an understandability point of view, because if you want to explain it to your friends or uh, I don't know your mom, um, yeah. they they typically don't get B two B startups, especially right. our startup. Yeah. And, uh, that also goes when uh, a bit further when you start pitching it to investors. Most investors. Uh, understand b2c very well and they can challenge it and yeah. i've been pitching a lot lately and uh sometimes it's just silence they they don't really get it so they don't ask anything right all right well we'll get to talk about that uh, in just a bit let me first uh introduce uh, my two other guests the regulars on the show of course uh, sylvester welcome thanks man happy to be back in a new year yeah how are you feeling yeah, pretty yeah. good. I'm looking forward to hearing the story from uh, from. All right, Alex. pretty cool. At least uh, all the inside uh, details. Yeah. And we got Anik back on the show as well. Yes, thanks for introducing me again. And yeah, nice that we are restarting this one. And uh, let's see what uh, Alex has to to share with the community and also explain me what is so interesting about licensing because I found it goddamn boring, <laughs> man. So you better make this pretty cool. Yeah. So just to, to finish up the introduction here, Enrique, you went on a ski trip and uh, I see that you're uh, not in a cast or anything. So uh, I assume that you did not break any bones. That is very true. For the first time, I'm pretty much... Uh, I, I have other injuries, but not because of skiing. All so right. I'm glad. Right. <laughs> well, good to have you back. So uh, yeah, Alex, let's let's talk a bit about uh, the startup indeed, like the licenseware. Um, because I, in the introduction, I said that you guys are commoditizing software license management, and um, it sounds pretty boring, uh, but it's actually pretty important, right? Because licensing could get companies in, in a lot of trouble. And I mean, we're not a legal advisor or lawyers here, and we're probably not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about all the licenses and stuff like that. But could you maybe uh, explain a bit why should you? you know, start a company in, in licensing? Yeah, uh, good question. And I'm happy to tackle this first so we can get, get it over with. <laughs> uh, 
but the uh, yeah, of course, it's not one of those startups that is saving the world, but uh, doesn't mean that it's not important for other people. And uh, yeah. uh, if uh, it has a strong financial incentive for companies, and uh, yeah, uh, the the thing is that I started my career in this. Uh, I was really junior, so I just I was just happy to start anywhere in IT. So this was kind of the a good starting point for me. And it was indeed boring. Uh, uh, and it was kind of my mission to make my job uh, fun uh, at times. And I was I was one of the lucky ones because I started my career at a, at a startup. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, they came from a strong corporate background. They were all uh, ex-Oracle directors and they kind of were fed up with that that boring thing and that you know suit wearing uh, lifestyle and yeah. uh, then they started kind of like the opposite of that so i was one of the lucky ones because the industry where we are is quite traditional in the sense yeah. and uh, it's a lot of excel people uh, I've, I've been spending such a long time in excel in my own <laughs> yeah so that was kind of in a way a, a seed that that uh, sprouted into some other ideas that that began licenseware. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, one of our goals is to make this because software asset management is kind of like an account being an accountant, but for software. And you need to know some technical stuff to be able to do it. But yeah. at the end of the day, you're still kind of like doing accounting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's not not fun at all. And we want to make this cool. Uh, right. That that's that's one of the missions that we have. You mentioned there's strong financial incentives for companies to actually be on the lookout for this. Yeah. Yeah. Can you so, give a few examples. I know you have a few. So. Yeah, we have plenty of examples, and sometimes you can also see it in the news. Um, if I were to give an example here in the Netherlands uh, of negligence, sometimes. Uh, uh, you can see titles like the police of Netherlands accidentally ordered, uh, I think, 300,000 extra uh, licenses for Office 365. And, <laughs> or, I don't know, it was in the order of uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And they actually wanted to get their money back, but Microsoft said no. Mm. So... <laughs> <laughs> So that's one example. Yeah. Uh, other examples uh, when it comes to, I don't know, more, let's say, server-side software, enterprise use, uh, you, you, we can mention the case of Oracle versus Mars, where Oracle basically, uh, or Mars sued Oracle in a counter uh, for an audit that uh, uh, Oracle uh, did on Mars, and then they had to pay a few million and it was a situation of a uh, of licensing in a virtualized environment. Um, yeah. There's a technology within VMware which allows uh, 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 VMs to just dynamically uh, move uh, across the cluster for load balancing. And uh, Oracle argued something along the lines that, uh, yeah, your VM could be anywhere, so you just have to license the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's brilliant it's model, like right? saying uh, you go into an empty parking lot and uh, then you park your car there and then at the end you pay for all the spots because you could have parked <laughs> anyway. <right? laughs> that makes total yeah. sense, right? <laughs> for the parking lot, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so 
Because as a startup, uh, <clears throat> you know, money is, of course, always a, a thing, I guess, because you need like investors and all these things. And especially with licenses with, you know, potentially huge fines for companies having like the wrong or not enough licenses. Isn't that also something that you guys need to, uh, uh, how do you say, take an insurance against? Like, hey, we have this platform for companies. What if we inform them wrongly about like, hey, this is the Oracle license you need? And then it turns out to be the bad, you know, the, the, not the right decision. And they have to pay a huge fine to Oracle. Like, is there any way that you guys can be impacted by that kind of stuff as well? Uh, well, the idea is that we in not, um, not in any way we say that we're going to replace the human component out of software asset management. Okay. The software asset management is a business practice that is driven by uh, processes, uh, processes, tools, and people. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, there's the underlying layer of data. And then the human component should not be replaced, at least at this point in time, because the technology doesn't allow it. There's right. no, I mean, system in place or no, there's no right attention to build something so sophisticated to completely eliminate the human component. And what we try to achieve is to make the consultants who are the backbones of the industry, make them a lot more effective uh, in their job. Okay. And it's kind of like a tool for the consultant's mind. And it's meant to automate the te tedious and most boring of work yeah. and allow them to focus on the stuff that cannot be automated yet by computers. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's kind of the disclaimer is. in itself. This is the message that we bring throughout the, the selling process as well when we speak to uh, prospects and customers. Yeah, so the, the platform aids in decision-making on what licenses to that, that the company might need, but it doesn't pretend to say like, hey, I know exactly which licenses you need and, and this is it. Like, it's more like, hey, you know, this is just the data and these are the insights and you make whatever decision you need to make based on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what we do different from, uh, I would say, the rest of the market is that Aside from giving like a super high level um, uh, overview of their uh, data, uh, we also give them control of the raw data so they can see where it came from. We show them the logical steps that mm -hmm. we've taken in the analysis so that we keep everything transparent because in licensing, there's a lot of room from interpretation, yeah. uh, for interpretation. Like in law, uh, I mean, you have like these uh, laws, these rules yeah. in licensing, you also have a lot of licensing rules, yeah. uh, which are very much interpreted throughout the industry. And, uh, uh, that's always good to keep it transparent because different experts might have different opinions about things, how things should be done. Yeah. 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 So I have to ask because I want to hear the whole story, right? So how you started with this idea and how you got the funding and all the stress that probably came with it while having a kid. But um, what's your own licensing model? What's our own licensing model? Well, it's a good question because, you know, uh, I, just to frame it right, I would say that a lot of the tools available right now for software asset management mm -hmm. have a business model or a licensing model in itself that kind of defies the purpose. Uh, I mean, you buy this tool so you can save money on software, but then you end up paying a lot of money for the tool in the first place. Uh, and because of that, it's very difficult to pitch inside. If you're a software asset manager, then you go and ask your boss a few hundred thousand a year for this magical tool. Mm -hmm. 
most likely you go you'll be getting back and crunching data in Excel. <laughs> so um, the business model that that we have um, in itself aims to commoditize this type of uh, tooling. So it's designed for the small guy as well as it is for the big guy. Uh, so big companies they can afford expensive tools because they have the budget and they also their spending. Uh, saving potential becomes much more uh, uh, much more enticing mm -hmm. but for smaller companies uh, it's much more difficult to uh, to go from a manual process to a more let's say semi-automated process when it comes to software asset management so we have a pay-as-you-go model uh, we are very much inspired of uh, I don't know how the early days of uh, AWS how they started uh, because in the way, in a way, they kind of commoditized uh, cloud computing, yeah. and uh, we took inspiration from that. So we have a pay-as-you-go model where they pay for the uh, devices that they analyze or databases that they analyze, uh, what they manage effectively. They can stop anytime, uh, so it's uh, on-demand, self-service, easy to use. Uh, we don't need to bring in consultants to get uh, extra money from you. You can figure it out yourself. We'll give you the right uh, support to get onboarded. But uh, our core business model is that it's self-service and we're empowering you to do it yourself and not yep. rely on all these uh, expensive services and tools and experts. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of startups, they start with, uh, like, market research and validating the idea. Did you guys also go through all of those, you know, steps or did, did you already have like a product and a, a finance and then just, you said like, let's, let's make, let's make this. Well, both myself and Cyprian worked for, uh, startups that, uh, tried to build their own automation. Uh, some were more successful than others. Mm -hmm. uh, Cyprian worked for a few. I did that at Belay, um, so I worked on the early automation of uh, that Belay was building, and I have some experience with uh, the challenges that lie in building a SAM tool. And Cyprian did it a few times before yep. that, so uh, we took that with us, and uh, we kind of came up with something that uh, 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 would eliminate all the unnecessary complexity. Um, and uh, uh, it's actually Cyprian that that uh, that came up with the concept of the pay as you go open app ecosystem. Um, so yeah, right. But you never really validated the idea. Yeah, we took a step by step approach. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, Cyprian built the first prototype, okay. um, and then uh, he started showing it to people. Uh, he, uh, I was one of the first who saw it and uh, actually saw value in it immediately. Okay. And uh, then we started uh, showing it uh, to a broader audience. We pitched it at a, a local startup event, um, just for the uh, for the feedback. Event. Yeah. yeah, it was our very first pitch, actually. Okay. Uh, uh, we just wanted to see how it is and uh, how uh, someone from outside the industry would react to it. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the first validation that, that we were looking for. And we just wanted to be the startup that sucks the least. Uh, so. <laughs> and how <laughs> did it go? Uh, did you well, guys suck the least? Yeah, we actually won Best Innovation Award. Ah, uh, yeah, there we go. For, okay, in all nice. fairness, there were, only, there were only like 10 or 20 startups. I don't remember. Hey, exactly man, if you win, you win. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And, Even if there is only two. And uh, uh, 
after that, uh, we gained a bit more courage, and we went. Uh, let's let's see if uh, clients also like this. And uh, we were lucky enough to to get the conversation going with Accenture, uh, and that was a really big uh, uh, confidence booster for us. And that's when uh, uh, that's when we knew we we, we were on to something. And yeah. it took a long time to get them in because they are a big company, and uh, it's a long decision process. And yeah. it was also during COVID. We were born. And uh, during uh, COVID, when the pandemic was just uh, starting, yeah, um, and uh, many of the decisions that we took uh, kind of shaped the company uh, where it is right now. Um, so we, after we got this validation from uh, from Accenture, then we started to push it more and more and see if we can get uh, more conversations going on, get some user interviews. Uh, we attended some local startup. Uh, programs where we kind of went through the whole process from project market fit, the marketing strategy, uh, yeah, go to market strategy. Uh, we spoke with a lot of mentors, both people who, uh, who built startups before, yeah. uh, some of them had successful exits, uh, but we also spoke with investors. Yeah, and we always wanted to see the uh, to hear the critical uh, side of things because uh, yeah, you, uh, success is kind of allow it's a, it's a lousy teacher. So we would rather take all the shit and uh, try to make it better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and and where are you guys right now in terms of like the startup journey? Um, do you guys like? Okay, you mentioned one customer. Uh, like, do you have a product and you're selling it, or is it still in active development, or? How, how far along are you guys? Well, um, we are still very early stage. Um, I mean, we got a pre-seed in May. Uh, that, that After the pre-seed, uh, we had kind of a few wins, which were essential. Uh, before, uh, before that pre-seed period, we just had uh, an MVP, which was kind of like prototype. Mm -hmm. So the, the the platform for this app echoes open app ecosystem wasn't there yet. We just had one app, yep. which is kind of like standalone. So the first mile step was to build the platform. Yeah. So we built that platform, and um, to to make our life easier, uh, the guys also built a software development kit, uh, an SDK, which at first was to make our life easier, but uh, uh, looking at the long term, is is an essential piece for. Uh, third parties and external developers to develop their own app in the ecosystem. Okay. And while we get stronger and bigger as we bring more apps to the ecosystem, because mm -hmm. this brings more functionality, it opens up, uh, opens us up to other potential uh, customers and markets. Uh, the actual product that is supposed to disrupt is the platform itself. Yeah. Because tools for licensing, you have a lot of them on the market. And if I may make an analogy here, what we're actually building is that uh, like what, while other people are building tools, we are building a toolbox, yep. which is open and we don't just have our tools in it. Other people can just bring their own tools uh, and monetize, uh, monetize their tools, basically. Okay. All right. So you also enable other people to, you know, build a little component and then license that out as well. Yeah, that's okay. that is not validated yet. Um, we we are making the right moves to get to that point. Uh, yep. We are working with the partner to uh, develop apps, uh, an app in collaboration uh, based on this model. Mm -hmm. uh, but where we want to go in the future is that uh, 
uh, I don't know, a developer in the space just goes uh, to a website, sees all the documentation, uh, and then just pulls from a repository, can have its environment set up in no time, and then can start uh, coding the app and publishing it the same way as you would publish an app on uh, the, I don't know, app store on your right. phone. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the long-term view. Uh, but before we get there, uh, we kind of need to make people uh, accustomed to this new paradigm, this new way of doing things. Yeah. And coming from a, an industry which is very traditional, a lot of, as mentioned, you know, uh, tie-wearing people and yep. uh, Excel uh, power users, it's going to be a, <laughs> a difficult uh, paradigm shift. Yeah. It, and, and, and I think you're already pretty successful, right? But I'm also curious about your personal journey. What did you go through? What was the moment when you said, okay, I'm going to do this? How was it at home? Well, it, it was uh, it was kind of a funny story because I started my career in software asset management in 2011, and I've been working in the industry for about eight years. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of it I spent at Belay's, and I went uh, for a short while to work for Erston Young, and after having a taste of the corporate world, uh, I was like, yeah, I don't want to, I want to take a step back. Um, I don't want to do Sam all my life. And uh, I went back into my uh, passion for uh, software development. So I took a, a job at a startup uh, here in Utrecht, uh, an e-commerce startup. Uh, I was focused on data analytics uh, and uh, it was a really cool job. And uh, uh, during that time, I kind of reconnected to Cyprian and then he showed me this idea that he was working on. And although I didn't really, I was kind of convinced that I was not going to go back into Sam uh, because of how boring uh, I felt it was after a while. <laughs> uh, then I thought, you know, this could be a game changer and this could make this boring thing. This could make it cool again. Yeah. Uh, this mm. has happened before in other industries and uh you know, we bring uh, bring the sexiness back to, to software asset management. <laughs> you say yeah, we're bringing it back? Has it ever been sexy then? <laughs> no. <it's>, uh, <laughs> You're making it sexy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he kind of grew on me the idea over time. And uh, at first he invited me to just uh, uh, work on it together. And we started brainstorming and... Uh, one thing led to the other, and uh, I, I was kind of sucked in. Um, the The success was, uh, the early, let's say, success was a bit accidental in the sense that we were not expecting it to be so well received. That's mm -hmm. why we kind of continued to go this route. We were not initially convinced that we would want to go the traditional startup VC route. We thought, uh, yeah, if we just have... Why not? Why did you guys uh, think... That, that was not a good idea? Uh, not that it was not a good idea. It's that uh, we didn't think that uh, VCs would be interested in such a thing. Uh, we thought that uh, it's kind of a cool project and we could make money on the side with it, uh, just having like the sidekick. And uh, when we saw that uh, people, other people outside of the industry thought uh, it was cool, then that was kind of like, uh, okay, so we might uh, have a chance here. So then we kind of took small incremental steps uh, into into the right direction. And um, the, I think one of the key moments was the, the first pitch that we did because that qualified us mm -hmm. to a bigger event. And 
where we uh, were, uh, competed with, I think, uh, 40 other startups for um, uh, a convertible note of uh, 200 or 300,000. Um, and that kind of opened us up to uh, all these other uh, players and how they are doing it, the challenges that they have, these mentors. Mm -hmm. We had really interesting discussions with them. And then we got scouted by this other uh, uh, startup uh, pre-accelerator where, where it was supposed to be about mentoring, uh, but ironically is where we met our current investors. And uh, it was kind of a funny situation because uh, we were supposed to have a mentoring session with one of them. And mm -hmm. uh, out of the blue, he was like... Uh, yeah, I read the description, but I didn't really get what you guys do. So maybe you could uh, you could just do a pitch. And I was like, now? And he was like, yeah, do you have a, a deck? And I just did the pitch and uh, he liked it. And he said, uh, yeah, I think uh, you should speak with, uh, with my partners as well. And uh, we did another uh, uh, pitch for them as well. And uh, that was kind of uh, history. The challenge was that uh, we knew already in December that we were going to get, uh, we were going to get, uh, uh, a round from them. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we were actually, uh, we actually had a previous offer before, but it was really bad. And uh, it was really good that we, uh, we were in this ecosystem of, uh, startup people because we got to speak with some people that had experience. So you could actually compare the, the this is great. Like, uh, yeah. the first offer that we ever got, we thought, this is amazing. Uh, but then when we spoke with, uh, with, uh, the other, uh, with the other people who had more experiences with startups, they, they actually told us that, uh, th this is really crap and you're going to lose control of the company and you also lose a lot of equity. So we're really happy that we have this support system around us. And, uh, the challenge was that the investor said like, you guys know the market, uh, kind of have a grip on the product. You are very, uh, techies uh so we trust you from that point of view but we don't see the let's say the marketing and sales uh skill set within right. you guys so mm -hmm. then you need to bring in a, a third co-founder which was a challenge in itself because uh i it's not that easy to bring someone in into like a super early stage startup we were yeah. in the kind of incubation phase and yeah. a risk because you know it's like uh, we can make it or we cannot make it in the next six 12 months uh so that was really stressful and that kind of extended uh so from december we actually closed around in may and we spoke with like 10 people and uh at that same time during the same period i i was also uh in becoming a father so i became a father in october um, interesting times yeah so i had a day job uh just became a father and uh we were also attending two startup programs at the same time uh which required uh, about 20 hours uh a week from our time plus the job and uh we were also coding nights because we wanted to launch this app. We thought that uh, if we b build more apps faster, then uh, we have a better chance to get more money from the VCs. Mm. So we were really uh, grinding and uh, I don't know how we really did it. We were just very passionate about it. Um, so that was a really difficult period. But when we get got closer to, uh, to the period where we kind of 
closed the deal in May. We were also kind of towards the end uh, of our, you know, energy pack. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was not that easy to kind of, we thought that if if we can't close the, the, the round, then uh, it's unlikely that we will continue in this rhythm. Right. Because it was yeah. really working, working, working yeah. for a long time. And because um, yeah. I know nothing about uh, starting a startup, right? Because you said like, uh, you know, the guy basically told us or advised us to uh, bring in a third founder. Does that mean that you also have to give up like part of the company and, uh, you know, potentially like, let's say, uh, you know, the investor or someone else, you know, a couple of years from now buys a company that it might cost you a couple of million bucks. Millions. If things, uh, yeah, things go well. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that is uh, very much true. Uh, but the only way you can get someone who has, uh, they call it skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, someone who's truly committed and doesn't go and do something on the side. Because, of course, uh, you can't uh, incentivize someone when you're very early stage. You can't incentivize them with a big salary. It's no, it's no way that you can really compete yeah. with an established company. Mm -hmm. And sure. what you can use is basically your idea, your product. You can inspire people to come join you, yeah. uh, sell them your product and show them that this can be huge. Uh, give them a base to, you know, be able to pay their bills and also work on this amazing idea. Uh, but then they also need to be committed. So then it's a, a transfer of equity that you have to do. Yeah. And for me personally, that wasn't uh, an issue because I would rather own less of something that is worth a lot. Of course. Uh, yeah, to make it a success now, then, you know, the uh, majority owner in something that uh, works not the majority owner. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and, uh, you okay. know, I, I would rather share more to make it happen than, yeah. you know, just to keep it all for myself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you need to share it to be able to multiply it, I guess. Exactly. So in this marketing or sales uh, co-founder, is he also responsible for the licenseware memes that uh, fly by my uh, LinkedIn or is that someone else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's actually a funny story because I've been connected with Chris uh, for a few years before uh, we, we started doing licenseware together. And uh, he was not initially in my LinkedIn network, but I saw some of his posts through some uh, shared connections. Mm -hmm. And it kind of caught my eye and I thought, uh, yeah, this guy is doing something right. And I think this is going to catch on if you do it properly. Uh, too bad uh, for him at that time because he was working for the corporate world. And uh, he was very, uh, you know, restrained uh, from that point of view because there were a lot of, uh, you know, politically correct uh, or a lot of restrictions yeah. on what he could say and not say. And I thought if this guy, if you could, if you could just take him in an environment where you can just set him free and mm -hmm. unleash his, uh, you know, creative uh, potential, then then this this can be something uh, 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 that is going to catch on quick. And uh, yeah. it actually works very well. And uh, 
Uh, he's he's been smashing it since uh, he joined uh, with uh, yeah with his memes and people are are catching on to it and uh, uh, some people are copying us. Uh, uh, sometimes they repost the same stuff without tagging us. That's fine. We're we're happy that uh, they like it. We yeah. even have uh, that was a new thing that happened. I think last two weeks, uh, two of our. Uh, uh, competitors, not necessarily direct competitors, but uh, other companies in the market, uh, they started advertising on our, on our posts. So we posted a meme that had uh, like uh, uh, a lot of reactions and people were commenting in it. And two of them, they just uh, wrote a comment advertising basically their services and how they are better. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a bit low for them, but it was uh, it was a really nice for us because it means that. Did you de- did you delete yeah. the post? What? Did you delete the post or you left it there? No, no, no. We left it there. It's like uh, why why would we hide it? I think uh, makes sense. I I think at least we we clearly see that uh, we are doing something right, yeah. and uh, people are free to interpret it in uh, however they want. But I think this is a good sign and. Uh, People in our so-called circle agree as well. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so you did a, a new funding round uh, pretty recently. What are the next steps? What's the vision here? Uh, yeah, the, the founding round was uh, was uh, a bit unexpected because um, uh, we didn't expect that we would uh, be able to, you know, reach the next. Uh, step in our evolution so fast, uh, in both in terms of traction, uh, validation from the market, a few deals that we managed to close in because we only had uh, from the investment uh, until the end of the year, initial investment till the end of the year, we only had like six months. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we managed to, to get that second round and uh, uh, we were actually the only company that uh, our investors did the follow-on round uh, and ever, basically, um, and uh, not especially in such a short amount of time. And uh, they they speak with uh, hundreds of startups every mm. year uh, that uh, that they interview. So that that was also a good uh, um, booster for us. But now expectations are set, so we can't get away with the same objective. So we have to look. Uh, we have to look towards the uh, to find our north star. I mean, we already know which well, what our north star is, but now we don't have to aim a lot higher. So, right. Uh, uh, the, the, the next step <clears throat> is basically to uh, to uh, get to Series A. We expect to to uh, get the right level of traction for Series A in the next, uh, I would say, ten to twelve months. Um, then is when we become a scale up. We are still a startup now, and uh, now we're. How many? How many people are you guys now? Uh, we have thirteen people, uh, most of them full time. Yeah, that's a nice, uh, nice number. And um, well, we're talking about investments because you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, you had to do a pitch on the spot for a potential investor, um, like unprepared, I guess, kind of. Like, can you can you just take me through that? Like, how's that experience? Like, what what goes through your head? Is it is it terrifying, or do you just go with the flow? Because you know, I can imagine it being terrifying in the sense, like, oh my god, here is my one opportunity. You know, I got this M M&M and M moment in my head. You know, you get one shot. 
better not mess this up right now. Is it terrifying or? Uh, yeah, no spaghetti moment. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the it's actually from my point of view, it's it's better uh, to do it on the spot than if you have. I don't know. The longer you have to prepare, the the worse I get at it. Right. Because I tend to overthink it sometimes. So it's on because I know the thing. That's the whole thing. I know what we're doing. And yeah. I know the vision. I know where we want to go. Uh, I know the business in and out, so I don't need to prepare for it. And uh, that's kind of like the trap when you have to have like these, uh, you know, uh, pitches that you sometimes uh, I some and I sometimes attend like these events where you mm -hmm. have a few hundred startups pitching or uh, a few, you know, 100 startups pitching. And that's kind of something that you take a bit more seriously. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily so you find your, you uh, find the next VC there, but it's also just to put your name out there. Uh, that's, it's also good practice. Um, so yeah, I try to pitch as much as possible whenever I can, uh, not just for the sake of it, of course. Uh, I, mm -hmm only do it when I know there might be an opportunity there. Uh, but I don't ignore smaller uh, opportunities. Uh, it's just always good to, to make a connection with uh, people who find yeah. your idea interesting. And it's also good practice, especially since we're not doing this for a long time. Yeah. Uh, any any tips you want to give to, uh, let's say, people that are considering to, to launch a startup? Uh, yeah. It's should they do it? We had someone here uh, a few episodes ago who said, yeah, it's a stupid idea, but you should definitely do it. What's your view? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, not such a great idea. Uh, if you have, I don't know, plans uh, to have like social life and do fun things, uh, at least in the first years, uh, <laughs> but uh, you should definitely do it. Uh, course you should do it and the, but the only thing is that you should always be aware that uh, you are most likely going to fail mm -hmm. um, because most startups end, end up in failure and uh, um, it's it's really a process of, of trial and error in most cases and uh, you really have to get it right and uh, you have to uh, you also need a bit of luck. The right people need to uh, hear about your idea so you get the proper support. Uh, so it's not just that uh, I know all the startup founders who make it, they had the best idea and the best product. It's also a bit of uh, being, you know, the uh, at in the right place at the right time uh, yeah. type of thing. Uh, so that's something that you should always... Uh, uh, be aware of that uh, it's a lot most of it is your own effort and your own the time and effort that you put into it but there's also a bit of luck there that uh, you should and uh, of course as a founder you need to have a really strong support system around you um, even like the most fabulous stories that you hear, uh, like with, uh, I don't know, Jeff Bezos that they started from, uh, you have like this, uh, famous picture on online with Bezos at the crappy desk with, uh, spray painted Amazon logo next to him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that paints a picture, but you know, if you really read into it, like he actually got, I think it was 200,000, uh, I don't know, uh, angel money from his parents to start his business. Uh, and that was like, what, 
30, 40 years ago. That was a long time ago. That money could buy a lot more things uh, back then. So it was yep. a good starting point. That just proves like how good it is to have a strong support system. And yep. it, it was the case for other uh, very successful entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then you mentioned, you know, because you guys won some awards and, uh, you know, second investment round, everything seems to really go very well. But did you also have moments where you thought like, man, screw this, this is not working. And uh, I just want to, I just want to quit. Yeah. yeah. All the time. You always have to, that's, that's one of the things that kind of, uh, brings a lot of, uh, startups down is because, uh, Founders have a really, really high level of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, whether they are spending their time on the right things and if they are doing the things right. And uh, because you don't have too many tries as a founder, you you have a li very limited team, uh, a product that no one knows. And uh, your the time that you have, even if you work 60 hours a week or more, time that you have has to really be spent on on the right things yeah and just not knowing that you are not that you're you don't know if you're doing the right thing or not most of the times can really be soul crushing and uh, uh you can only have a few uh, misses until you you yeah. know you start hitting the ground yeah so uh, i got one more question for you um and uh, that is <clears throat> the um the product that you make is very important, right? So that's what you guys probably spend a lot of time on. But you also mentioned that you joined a few of these, uh, I don't even know exactly what they're called, but like these meetups, for example, where you have to like, you know, socialize and, and, and talk to people and, and building a network. Like, is that just as important or maybe even more important than building the right product for a startup? Uh, well, there are, there are cases where people can raise... Uh even millions with just uh, pitch tech without having a product. Um, uh, most of the times, if you have the right team is more important than having a prototype or a product. Okay. So the team is always the most important thing. Um, and not necessarily the team in itself, because you can always uh, make a group of people come together uh, to make some money. But uh, the the background of the people that what set of accomplishments of uh, or expertise do they have that kind of uh, gives the investor the certainty that they are able to build whatever they say that they want to build. They have to have some sort of body of work left behind that serves us as uh, assurance that, look, I can build this thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's one of the, the, the most important things. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, and what, and what? Valuable advice. Oh, sorry, what did you say? I said valuable yeah, advice. Exactly. Thanks. So, yeah, man. So, uh, everything is going well. I hope you guys, uh, yeah, make it, uh, make it big. Like, what, what is your end goal? Is it to sell the company for millions and millions of bucks? Or you just want to be comfortable and have a nice, nice company and uh, have some fun while working? Well, you know what the Buddha says. Uh, it's better to travel well than to arrive. Um, so yeah. it's not about, wow. uh, it's not about getting rich. Uh, it's about having fun doing, uh, your work. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're trying to achieve with, uh, with licenseware. And we want to put all these years that we had, uh, of experience to good use in a fun way. And if we can get 
rich at the end of the day out of it, that's really good. But uh, that's not the end goal. We want to build uh, a good product. Yep. Uh, we are very passionate about what we're doing. Uh, I think we would not have been successful otherwise. And yeah, exactly. this is again another important uh, coming back to your previous question. Like you should never start something if you're not passionate about it. Yeah. That's that's a slow suicide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, I think uh, that wraps about it up. I, I, do you guys have any more questions for Alex? No. No, man. All right. Thanks very much. That's, uh, yeah. Thanks, Alex. Really nice uh, conversation, guys. Uh, yeah, I'll keep uh, I'll keep uh, following your uh, your posts. I really like these sessions. All right. Cool. Very good. Yeah, so, Alex, thank you for being here and sharing your uh, your story. Um, I think uh, yeah, we can learn a lot of uh, from all these startups. Some of them fail, some of them succeed. So uh, we'll uh, we'll be on the lookout and see uh, what happens with. Uh, with licenseware. But uh, thanks a lot for sharing your story. And uh, I also want to thank the listener for, uh, of course, tuning in. Uh, if you have any questions for us or Alex, uh, feel free to uh, send us a message on uh, Twitter slash Forscouts. Uh, you can also send us an email at podcast at forscouts.nl. Uh, Alex, do you also have a Twitter handle where people can reach you? No, I don't use Twitter. Ah. Just uh, LinkedIn for me. All right. Then yeah, we'll, uh, we'll include the LinkedIn uh, profile. Uh, thanks again, guys. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers.